0: You may be familiar with the phrase, in the beginning, in the beginning. Well, I went to the seminary. And while I was at the seminary, I took a class in Old Testament theology from Gerhard Hossel. Um, Gerhard Hossel was uh, one of the Old Testament professors. And we had four hours of class each week for our 11-week course, 11-week quarter. And as I was taking the class, he spent the first six weeks, four hours each week on the lecture on in the beginning. Can you imagine? That's all he talked about for six weeks at one hour per day for four days a week on in the beginning. And as I was thinking about that, I said, how can you take three words and spread it over so long? And he said, well, I want you guys to do that for the rest of the Old Testament. Oh, sure. Yeah, so my life will not be that long. But for you this morning, I want you to put on your thinking caps this morning and really kind of pay close attention because in this, we could basically say it's complicated, as you could imagine. If he spent six weeks going over that, First few words in the beginning. It could be complicated, and it is. I don't want to make it more complicated than it is, but it helps us understand something when we look at it very closely. As you recall and may know, that the words in the beginning are found in Genesis 1:1. Just simply, Moses started out writing, and he started saying, "In the beginning." That's all he said. In the beginning. God created the heaven works. But that's not the only place in the Bible we find that. We also find that same phrase in John's writings, in the Gospel of John. He starts out, in the beginning. He uses those very same words, only in Greek and not in Hebrew. But the same idea, in the beginning. Which raises questions in our mind, maybe not in yours, but those of us who look at these kind of things, about... What is the meaning of each of those things in the beginning in John and in the beginning in Genesis? Are they talking about the same things? Were they writing about the same event? Now, maybe that doesn't keep you awake at night, but evidently it kept Gerhard Hosl awake at night, thinking about those great things. What does it mean to have the beginning? What do we mean by the beginning? about what had happened. So we find in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was uh, God, and we have that very beginning start. So we could look at the writings of John, that very first phrase, in the beginning, as we look at that carefully, we could look at that and we could say, well, is he talking about the beginning of the world, as we would find with Moses, or is he talking about the beginning of Christ's ministry, there in Israel, in Palestine, with God with us, that kind of a... It could go either way. And so great minds with great scholars and things have argued back and forth exactly what we're meaning about in the beginning, and what that process could mean, and what that could happen. And John's book, and John's actually could be uh, understood either way. It could mean he's talking about in the beginning, that Jesus began with their ministry there on earth. He could be implying that, or he could be implying just as Moses did back in Genesis 1. We don't know. We'll have to ask him when we see him, if that would be an important issue for us to know. So John's book could be, process could be either way. In Genesis 1.1, we notice it was in the beginning God created, and so that implication, that thing that Moses is writing, this was the beginning of our world. This is the start of it. That's the beginning. In the beginning is when it started. But either passage, the one in John or the one in Genesis, implies to us that there was something that happened before the beginning. It seems to be that. That seems to be a logical conclusion that something happened before those words in the beginning, which we tend to think there was a beginning, there was an end. We think in that world. So where did God come from, I used to ask as a kid. I remember asking that. Well, dad, mama, they were talking about this, and now the creation of the world. Well, where did God come from? Have you asked that question of yourself? You know, where, where did God come from? And my dad would answer this, and he would say to me as a child, he'd say, that's one of the questions about God we're not supposed to ask. Oh, we're not supposed to ask where God came from. But I'm asking anyway. I'd kind of like to know. You know where, where did he come from? And I would get this kind of an answer. He would say, well, it could drive you crazy, or it could drive you nuts if you contemplated that long enough about thinking about that. And of course, when that seed is planted in your mind, now, as a child, you're afraid. If I think about where God came from, two line, I'm gonna be crazy. And, well, you know, now that just comes to mind that perhaps that explains to you a lot about this pastor. Maybe he thought too much about it. Uh, I'm driving, driving nuts. But anyway, I was thought about that particular thing that here, here was that question, where did God come from? Well, you can't give that. And and the question I really, as I grew up, was kind of, really, you can't ask that? You can't ask that question? Yes, you could ask that question. But the answer, the answer is a deep insight into what God is about. And you have to wrap your mind around something that is foreign to our normal way of thinking. What I mean by that is Christianity has always understood that God is eternal. God is eternal. Therefore, we could say, things get more complicated. Because we have to think in a different way than we've ever thought before. We grow up Seeing the world in our time frame, in our thoughts, in our way, in our observation of the world, and therefore we try to imply onto God how God is through that viewpoint of how we look at things. But it's complicated. It's kind. So I'd like to suggest to you that eternity is a characteristic of God's being Himself, of who He is. It shows us God's relationship with time. Now, many people, when they think of God, and we say, well, God is kind of like a, a spirit that operates on his own. He's not affected by time and space. He's just, he's just kind of floating somewhere, and kind of like a, a cloud is here, there, and gone. And they, they kind of think of God in that way, about that. That's not the biblical understanding of God. You see, in eternity, that aspect of God's being, eternity, God's time is not alien to our time. It just surpasses our time. It's it's not alien to it. What I'm trying to say is that, that God operates in time and space. Now, I know in our Bible it says, well, time will be no more. We see that our kind of thinking of time will be no more. But God's thinking about time will be on because the Bible says when fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. He operated in time and in space. Reality, a reality that we show, a share, but it is different from him. Our time has a beginning, and always has an end, do we not? We love it when a child is born, brought into the world, we say it's the beginning, it's great, this is wonderful, and then, but we all know, as my wife would say, <laughs> until Jesus comes, none of us are getting out of here alive. You know, until Jesus comes, that's the reality of it. There will be an end. I remember my father, when he was talking about he was so hoping that Jesus would come in his lifetime. And in that process of thinking about how soon Jesus would come, he would say things like, I never thought I would uh, graduate from medical school because (laughs) Jesus would come too soon. He knew he'd never get married. He knew he'd never have children. He knew that he would never retire he never knew he'd get old. He never knew he'd be a grandpa because Jesus would come to us soon. He never knew he would die. And all those have transpired a beginning and an end. And we live in that world where there's a beginning and the end. But in God's time, there is no beginning and there is no end. So God's time is different than our time because we are marked by beginning and ending, but God does not have that. He does not have that parameter that he has because that's not the kind of time. Yes, he understands time like we do, through, but dot with a beginning and end because he's eternal. Therefore, God is never caught off guard. Did you know that? Now, I had a pastor friend of mine. He had been retired, and he was coming, and we were having prayer together as... Uh, pastoral staff one morning at my church. And it was kind of fun. We would we'd get together and we'd have a devotional thought on Monday and see how things went. And then we would uh, have prayer and we'd all have a prayer. And he came around and Ted was his name. And Ted, uh, Pastor Ted all this, T-Ted was a happy person and he was chuckling. And finally in his prayer, his says, he said, Lord, I got to tell you this joke. And so he told the Lord a joke in his prayer. Now I'd never heard that before. I'd never seen that before. I thought, is that is that disrespectful? I thought, well, maybe not, because God gave us laughter, and He knew He knew the Lord as His dear friend, His precious friend, who shared in His life, and so He shared this joke with Him, and of course we all laughed at the joke because it was funny in the prayer. Well, after it was over, I was was thinking about that, and I said, uh, uh, Ted, um, that was interesting. I've never heard anybody tell a joke in a prayer. He says, yeah, I do all the time. I said, okay. But I said, you know, God knows the punchline before you ever get there. (laughs) He says, I know, but that makes him giggle at me, too. Because God operates in real time and in real space. But not with a beginning and an end like we have. Now, God existing in time and space, we might ask, well, so what? So what? What difference does that make? Here is why it is important. Here is why this is important. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's sharing this. He says some profound things to them, but I want to pick up just a little bit out of Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to begin with the third verse. Ephesians chapter 1, the third verse, and it goes, Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Would you look at that? He chose us before the creation of the world. He chose us. Who? God the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. He already chose that. So what we could see and gather from that is before God created us, he already chose us. Before God created us, he already chose us. He already selected you and me. He already selected us that we could be holy and blameless people before he ever created the world. Which implies to us and says something incredible about God in space and time, that as time was going on, as he was being able to create the world, as he was acting and taking us, the grace of God preceded the creation of mankind. Grace came first. In fact, the gracious act of God creating us was first. We tend to think of grace preceding the broken of the law. We tend to think, but long before... Long before the creation of the world, God took His gracious act and chose you and me and everyone who is willing to live a blameless and holy life. He chose us. God knew you. Sitting here, who knows everything, who is eternal, who is immovable, He knows you. He knew you before he created the world. He knew your name. He knew you. He knew what was going to happen to you. He knew all of it before. And he chose you according to the scriptures. So you see, before the beginning, (laughs) before our framework of mind of when things started, before we go back to the very creation, before he took this world and spoke the world into existence, before that happened, he already, already, had extended grace to you specifically. To me, that was stunning. Saving grace before the creation of the world. Stunning grace. Because you see, there was a plan. God has never caught off guard. He's never, never caught off guard. He cannot be surprised by events. The death of Lazarus to his sisters was horrible and sudden and irreversible. That's why Jesus didn't hurry. He didn't need to hurry. Jesus doesn't need to hurry to go to... There's no emergency with God. He simply speaks... And it happens. Lazarus come forth because there was a plan. Long before the creation process started, God already had a plan, in fact, for you and for me. Now, I'm not only just well, it's just for people, no, God is more specific for you. And for me, and for everyone in this world who wishes to live a holy and blameless life, he knew. Because you see, God Himself, God Himself was prepared. He was prepared, planned, and ready to execute. And He was prepared for sin, because He knew sin would arise. He knew us. He knew his creatures. All right. Another Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Same idea picked up by John, only he casts it now down towards the end of the world. And he's talking about, and if you had our class in Revelation, you know the story and the things that are happening in Revelation 13. is an amazing thing. Amazing thing that John shares. But here he goes and he's Speaking of, now we'll just kind of pick this up, so just kind of catch the thing. All the inhabitants, verse 8, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Christ's commitment to save this world from sin was set prior to to him ever speaking the world into existence. The sin problem already had a plan. Already had a plan. So the story we find in Genesis coming up, and we find the fall, we won't spend a lot of time on that. But therefore, there was this text that said, and I, God speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. If we could just edit that a little bit, it said, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, he was speaking to the serpent, and to the woman. Well, the woman, in this particular case, Eve thought it was her, but no, it was, it was Mary, between you and her offspring. But if we even go even farther into that, he was putting enmity between Satan Satan and the church, because a woman in prophecies represents the church, who brought forth the son and will be his offspring. He, Christ, will crush your head, and you, Satan, will strike his heel, coming. You see, before the beginning, there was a savior. Amen. Before the beginning. Grace extended to you before God created the world. And as you wrap that around your mind, that the great God who has no beginning and has no end, who can speak and things stand fast, who can do those kind of things, was so concerned about you, that he prepared before he created the world to have a plan so that you would not be lost. One day, an angel, Angel Gabriel, showed up with Mary and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God you will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end, will never end." Will never end. So that babe who came already had a life planned out. In the fullness of time, exactly what was going to happen, how it rolled out, exactly how it was going to be, was all laid out in perfect harmony for that, for you. You see, you were loved before you existed. And only God can love like that. Ashley's going to give birth to a baby coming up here in January, right? Six weeks? weeks? I would guess she already loves her child. Already loves her child. I remember when my first child was born. Yes, it was great and everything, but I remember the night that I realized that, it, that the bonding took place for that love for my child. I'll never forget that. It happened about, about two weeks after the child was born, after our son was born. it took. Out, but when it happened, it was forever. There's nothing like a parent's love for the child, is it? There's nothing, nothing in this world. But the Lord loved you before you were even in your mother's eye, before you were conceived, before the world created. And only God loves like that. For God so loved the world, come on, that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he planned that his son would die for you before you ever came into being. Who would do that? (laughs) Who would love you like that? Knowing your life. Knowing what kind of a rascal I am. Because I love you, and I loved you from the very beginning. Come, be my child. Dear Father, I thank you for the great grace that you offer to us. I thank you for the love that you give to us. Long before the beginning, So before the beginning, you loved us, planned for us, provided a way for our Savior, and we celebrate that great grace and gracious gift. I thank you for that kind of a gift to us. I thank you that we can be offered that so freely. Father, this morning as we go into this Advent season, may we focus on the beauty of Jesus' gift of himself to us long before. What greater love hath a man than this? And he lay down his life for his friends. And we are his friends if we do whatsoever he commands us to do. God help us. God help us. In Jesus' name, amen.